Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. day of April right now. Yeah. All day today. It is. So good morning to you. Uh, Two-thirds of the Mensa brothers join me today. Will and Tim join me just working. Yeah, it happens. And uh, we're going to talk about Ukraine. I kind of tried to refocus the show on it again yesterday. Because there's some interesting stuff going on. And it's always challenging because, right, the reporting out of there is not the greatest. So you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. So you'll hear us talk about what do you make, question one, what do you make of the, the movement of forces? Next, what is next? For the Russians and what is next for the Ukrainian military. So we talk about that. So it's a pretty interesting discussion too. Yeah. Yeah, that, that may surprise you. <clears throat> Hopefully it doesn't if you tune into the program. Because I, I, I say this with pride, you know. We have kind of accurately predicted every bit of this. Yeah. And I would tell you that I would raise a jaundiced eye to some of the experts. And again, I, I said yesterday, people like Jack Keane, who I, I have great respect for, but have been wrong on this stuff. And so um, we have not. So it looks like Vladimir Putin will roll to the course of action that we said was really <clears throat> the most likely course of action because he just doesn't have it to take try to take over the whole 
you know, to to take Kiev and places like that. So anyway, so you'll hear us talk about that. Um, I will tell you this, though. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal today <clears throat> that I could have written. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, no, I, and I kid you not. <clears throat> Here's the title of it. For mental illness, make medication a last resort. Psychiatrists and even internists, internists, doctors, right, are often far too eager to prescribe pills. By Erica Commissar, K-O-M-I-S-A-R. Who is she? Well, let me tell you who she is. Ms. Commissar is a New York psychoanalyst and the author of Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling, Raising Resilient Adolescents in the New Age of Anxiety. So she starts like this. You probably heard that anxiety and depression are brain disorders that must be treated with psychotropic medication. That's closer to a pharmacological marketing slogan than settled science. These conditions, along with ADHD and addiction, result from trauma, loss, psychosocial stressors, and failed relationships. Even when there is a genetic proclivity to severe mental illness, such as bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, the environment plays a central part in triggering the disease. So I read this this morning. I'm like, who is this woman stealing my, stealing my shit, right? And how can she get away with this? Roland Kuhn, the Swiss psychiatrist who discovered one of the first antidepressants, imipramine, in 1956, later warned that many doctors would be incapable of using the antidepressant properly, quote, because they largely or entirely neglect the patient's own experiences, close quote. He was right. As a psychoanalyst, I often see patients who come to me after medication prescribed by psychiatrists and even internists who have no specialization in psychotropic drugs has failed, okay? <clears throat> so they go to see somebody, either their general practitioner, an internist, right? Or a psychiatrist, they get prescribed these meds. These people aren't specialists in these meds and the meds fail and so they wind up seeing a psychoanalyst. What's the definition of a psychoanalyst. A psychoanalyst is a healthcare provider who specializes in the mental health needs of adults and children in some areas. Psychoanalysts use psychoanalysis, an in-depth form of talk therapy to help people overcome difficulties and make lasting changes in their lives. Well, what the hell is a psychiatrist then? Let's look up that definition. What do psychiatrists do? A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in mental health, including substance use disorders. Psychiatrists are qualified to assess both the mental and physical aspects of psychological problems. People seek psychiatric help for many reasons. So is a 
is a psychoanalyst. Oh, here you go. What's the difference between a psychologist and a psychoanalyst? That someone is called a psychotherapist tells you nothing about his or her qualifications. But qualified clinical psychologists and psychiatrists can be properly called psychotherapists. Psychotherapist is a very specific kind of psycho. Psychoanalysis is a very specific kind of psychotherapist, a licensed practitioner of the medicine of the methods of Sigmund Freud. Is a psychoanalyst a medical doctor? To become a psychoanalyst, practitioners must complete intensive psychoanalytic training programs approved by the American Psychiatric Association. Students in these programs are usually psychiatrists with medical degrees and therapists who've earned PhDs in either psychology or social work. I need to learn more about that because this in, in this article, what she described, um, doctor, and, and I'll just read one more paragraph and then I'll leave, read the last one. Doctors prescribe these medications as a quick fix. Now, just know this. The things she's saying are ex- exactly my experience in over six years of interviewing people and, and into my fourth year of doing post-traumatic winning clo- for close to 80,000 people. Okay. I'm reading this, and she's writing what's in my head. So I have to meet her, and I have to drag her on this podcast. So um, doctors prescribe these medications as a quick fix, but the pills merely mask the patient's emotional pain. Some medications come with serious side effects and are extremely difficult to quit. Medication can be a godsend in the right context. But it is risky and should be offered only after non-medical options such as psychoanalysis have been exhausted. Why is therapy instead often a last resort for patients? Question mark. In part because it's uncomfortable. Some patients temporarily become more symptomatic when they expose themselves to the origin of their pain. This temporary pain is necessary for long-term relief. But it's easier to numb ourselves. So I would tell you this. She captures post-traumatic winning right there. The, the modern American way of dealing with your shit is we will medicate you and you can come talk to us about it. Okay? But if you if you make people square up with their shit and you tell them the truth and show them a path the temporary pain and i'm quoting her is necessary for long term relief and that's straight up fact therapy is she goes on let me just get to the last paragraph yeah i was i read this at like 3:45 this morning and vaulted straight up in my bed hopped in the shower and got, came out here and said I've got to make this part of the presentation. Uh, last paragraph. There are no shortcuts to creating mental to treating mental illness. Insurance companies should be pressured into covering treatments that work. Patients have to be consumers and say no to medication as a first course of treatment unless their symptoms are severe. Doctors must acknowledge that medication can be risky and have severe so- side effects. 
medication should only be used for serious clinical conditions or only after everything else has been tried and failed. And that's and she ends there. That's not how we do it. You walk into the VA or you walk into a DOD facility and the first thing they will offer you is medication. Yeah. The article is entitled, again, if you just uh, tuned in, For Mental Illness, Make Medication a Last Resort. And it's in today's Wall Street Journal. Her name is Erica Commissar. Yeah, how about that? So anyway, we talk about mental health a bunch here. I thought I would recommend that to you. I also had a really interesting conversation in my post-traumatic winning, um, my post-traumatic winning uh, seminar last night about relationships. I'll give you. I'll give you some little snippets. One. Most of us don't go to school, and I did a little survey of my friends, right? We do a lot of reading. None of us have ever read a book about being married. How about that? That somehow you're just supposed to figure out what it is to have a good marriage. None of us have either heard of or been to a marriage coach Somebody that meets you left a boom before something bad happens and says, hey, if you want to have a great relationship, these are things you guys have to do together. Yeah. And the other thing out of the group last night was the things that they would look for now that they have experience, marriage and relationships over time are very different from what they would have looked for in their 20s. I thought that was interesting too. And the whole idea of compatibility very important as you as as they've gotten older okay that we enjoy similar things that bring us together right and the other thing was that i got to know them as a person first before they became a love interest so anyway just some interesting stuff some food for thought so good morning to you the mensa brothers Two-thirds of the Mensa Brothers are going to join me here in a minute. Um, United States Marine Corps Band makes this Tuesday official. Good morning. And this is dedicated, <clears throat> I'm thinking, 
This is dedicated to people that are engaged in this discussion about the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, this, this, this term genocide gets thrown about rather flippantly and easily. It's not a light word. Also, you know, you see dead bodies in a war and somebody tells you, oh, look what they did. And um, I think if you have any experience, you say, slow your roll, man. Those pictures are not always what they seem. And so, um, yeah, ready, shoot, aim, all of that. So it's also dedicated to the hope that the right people get involved in, in these in these events and we can get to the truth, right? We can get to the truth about what happened there. And then at some point, the United Nations can be something other than, I, I, what is it? It's a gathering place. It certainly doesn't prevent anything, it, it appears. <clears throat> so what is the UN's function? I thought it was to prevent conflict, that these things would come before an international community that would, that would somehow or other avert conflict. I don't know. So anyway, dedica dedicated to all of that, all right, this. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win.
you got to win. Time for us to, <clears throat> excuse me, check the weather here on a Tuesday. We'll check. I'll do a cursory check of news headlines, <clears throat> and then we'll listen to the Mensa Brothers this morning. Yeah, and I was, I enjoyed the conversation this morning. Not sure why, but I did. Um, well, I saw Tim and Will, so I enjoyed that. Um, currently in Quantico, cloudy and 51. I'm headed back there at the end of the week. Yeah, I'll be in D.C. next week. Doing some work at uh, Marine Barracks 8 to 9. Yeah, Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C. as it's known. So I'm fired up about that. Um, sunny. Mostly sunny at Cherry Point in North Carolina. Sunny in 73 in 29 Palms already. That means it's going to be warmer out here today. I think we're going to get up to 90 in a couple days. Uh, Sunny in 57 at Pendleton right now. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy in 69. Okinawa, dark cloudy 63. Darwin got cold. All right, dark cloudy in 79 in Darwin. And in Kiev, it is cloudy and 44 late in the day. That is a, uh, well, at the home of Auburn Radio, partly cloudy and 57. Looking for a high of 71 today. Tomorrow, 81. Thursday, 90. Friday, 88. Saturday, 76. Gonna get hot here on the West Coast, so got that going for us. So that is a, a look at your weather brought to you by nobody. So anyway, if you want to sponsor the weather, let me know, right? You can send me a few shekels and uh, I'll put your name on the weather. Yeah, so if you want to be the sponsor of the weather, right? Like your name is Larry Dorfman, I'll, I'll let you sponsor it, right? I'm not exactly sure what I'd charge you, right? Um, but I will. I'll charge you something, and I'll, if you want to sponsor the weather, I will put. Your, I will. I will gladly put your name on it. So you got. You can. You can, if you if you want to sponsor the weather, yeah. The weather today brought to you by Larry Stemple. <clears throat> I think Larry Stemple was a kid I grew up with. Anyway, top headline today around the world: number one in stars and stripes. Internet's being slow, so bear with me. What the hell? It's never that slow. What's up with that? Uh, top headline in the Wall Street Journal. President Zelensky addresses UN with claims of Russian atrocity. He addressed the UN, United Nations Security Council after warning that newly uncovered atrocities could be worse than those in the city of Bucha. I told you, this is going to get worse. Now the question is, again, this could be partisan-based, right? Maybe done after the... I'm not making excuses, but... And you're going to hear Will talk about this. You know, you don't know who did this. All you know is there's a dead body and there's a narrative associated with it. So um, so you got to let people investigate this stuff and and it goes where it goes. So that is the, stop, that is the top headline. A couple of sub-headlines. Europe to target Russian coal in a fresh round of sanctions, right? 
another headline, sanctions hit home for everyday Russians. The impact of sanctions is spreading through Russia's economy, providing early, an early indication of the pressure the country will face. And, and I have to say, I, I think this is absolutely uh, important. Russian consumers are skipping big-ticket purchases and planting vegetable gardens to prepare for the long stretch of economic pain. And so I, I think that's important. Russia has to pay. Another headline in a Wall Street Journal exclusive, Ukraine quietly receives tanks from the Czech Republic to support its war effort. And so to me, if you're serious about arming them, stop putting it on the front page, right? Stop putting it on the front page of everything, right? Get them the weapons they need with very little fanfare. Oh, Stars and Stripes showed up. Fifth Corps soldiers take new position in Germany in response to Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, okay. So the Fifth Corps was reactivated. Right. Um, so, but Germany's pretty far away from the fight. I mean, it's a lot closer than the United States is, but, I mean, you have Poland in between you and Ukraine, and so not sure that it shouldn't be further east. But for some reason, even though Germany never pulled its weight defensively, you know, we feel obligated to keep our forces in, in Germany when they should move east towards Poland. Um, but anyway, uh, next headline, Japan mulls acquiring means to counter-strike enemy military bases during an attack. What? 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 Um, interesting. Interesting is as, as Japan, again, obviously watching... Um, you know, events between Russia and Ukraine, you know, what are they thinking? Are we going to think, are they thinking we're not going out like this? So we, we need to arm ourselves. Hopefully they are. Uh, top headline in the New York Times, Zelensky tells UN that the world now sees Russia's brutality. The question is, will the world do anything about it? All right. Uh, Subheadlines, Europe proposes a ban on Russian coal in a package of new sanctions. Um, another headline, beatings, threats, and mock executions. Residents of one town described the Russians occupying occupation as a terrifying ordeal. Another interesting headline, and an article that I shall read here, not here on the air, but um, headline, Why Germany Can't Pull the Plug on Russian Energy. Under increasing pressure to sever the country's reliance on Russian energy, German officials must contend with deeply rooted economic ties. And then again, that, that you know, you can thank Angela Merkel and her utopian dream of a Europe that includes Russia and fairy dusting, you know, the, the conduct of Vladimir Putin et al., um, out of the equation. Oh, yeah, that's just the Americans being American. You know, they're so silly. Right? Top story in USNI News. Uh, Biden nominates Admiral Linda Fagan to head the Coast Guard, the first woman to lead a military service. That is in the news. 
Navy relieves su- Navy Supply Systems Command Fleet Logistics Center Pearl Harbor commanding officer over the Red Hill fuel leak. That's in the news. Next headline. Congress may reject the Navy's proposal to end the LPD Flight 2 line, according to lawmakers. Now, this is kind of a big deal, right? So the Navy, in once again, this whole divest, right, to invest. There's two articles written the last couple of days, and I think both written by a, 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 a reporter by the name of Mallory Shelburne. Here's this headline. Navy and Marines divided over the amphibious fleet's future as delays and cancellations mount in the fiscal year 2023 budget. The Navy is all too happy to shit can the amphibious fleet. And so, yeah, puts the Marine Corps at risk. Um, So this story by Mallory Shelburne. Congress may reject the Navy's proposal to end the LPD-17 Flight 2 line. House Armed Service Committee Sea Power and Projection Force Subcommittee Chairman Representative Joe Courtney and ranking members Rob Whitman said today that they think Congress will alter the Navy's plans to end the LPD-17 flight to production in fiscal year 2023. Both lawmakers said Congress should meet the Marine Corps' top unfunded priority, which is $250 million in advance procurement money for LPD-33. I think the LPD advanced procurement request, which came to us from the Marine Corps, I think General Berger and General Heckel have made a, a really powerful argument to all of us. I think that's one of those items that's going to change, Courtney said. Last week, the Navy in its fiscal year 2023 budget requested proposed, proposed ending the LPD-17 Flight 2 line with LPD-32, but the Marine Corps put advanced procurement funding for LPD-33 at the top of its annual wish list to Congress. So, again, a fight over ships between the Navy and the Marine Corps. Not a good thing. Okay. So that in the news today. Top headline in Marine Corps Times is uh, body of a Marine killed in the Norway Osprey crash has been returned to Boston. And that is Captain Ross Reynolds. He was an Eagle Scout. Just got married in February. So keep his family in your thoughts and prayers. So that's uh, top story in Marine Corps Times. Top, top five stories in the early bird are as follows. Number one, Russia faces global outrage over bodies in Ukraine streets. And again, um, you're going to see more and more of this. And again, um, the hard part is you got to pe- get people who can investigate it, who can interview witnesses, and who can put the story together of what actually happened so you do the right thing. And I will tell you this. The Russian military is, is barbaric. Uh, number two, the Army responds to 2021's historically high active-duty suicide. What does the Army have to say? They're clarifying their suicide prevention efforts. Quote, suicide is a complex phenomenon with numerous factors and environmental conditions that contribute to increased depression and other behavior, behavioral issues that influence an individual's decision to harm themselves, acknowledged Army spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Gabe Ramirez in a statement to Army Times. Quote, 
The Army is developing policies to ensure the consistent implementation of the Army's suicide prevention program across the force. Uh, okay. Congratulations. Uh, Navy reveals, reveals ship facing potential decommissioning next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to to watch this whole phenomenon play out um, because the Navy, I think, has a list of 24 ships they want to decommission. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's stunning in scope. The U.S. Navy released the names of the 24 ships it hopes to decommission in fiscal 2023, eight of which have reached the end of their planned service life, 16 of which would be retired early to save money on ships that the service views as not worthy of their rising costs. Sixteen ships. The Navy would like to decommission four Ticonderoga-class cruisers at the end of their 35-year life services, life service, two Los Angeles-class attack submarines at the end of their 33-year service life, and two Kaiser-class oilers at the end of their 35-year service life. And they give all the names of the ships. Of the 16 ships the Navy hopes to decommission early, nine are Freedom Variant littoral combat ships. All of them will need their combining gears replaced as the Navy discovered a class-wide defect in late 2020. Lockheed Martin and subcontractor Rank developed a replacement combining gear system, which the Navy approved in November. However, the Navy will bear... Some amount the co- will bear some amount of the cost of the replacement effort. The Navy announced on March 28 that it would cancel the anti-submarine warfare package for the LCS, meaning it would need fewer hulls in the inventory. Stunning, stunning. Um, the Navy needs to to go into bankruptcy. They need a, a judge to to run it. So it can do things that make sense. There, I mean, they've had a, a horrible problem, you know, fighting for the littoral combat ships, producing them. They get produced over budget. They take too long to get produced, and then they don't work. And now we're scrapping them years early. It's come on, it's ridiculous. Um, another story: How the Navy's beard policy discriminates against black sailors. So that's in the news. Overseas operation. U.S. warns Russia will intensify its military operations in Ukraine after weeks of stalled ground fighting. So that's interesting, right? That's interesting. So you, this narrative says, if you watch the map, the map hasn't moved that much. Right? And, and you've heard from experts that the Russians will ultimately bat, beat down the Ukrainians. Hadn't happened yet. So, hmm. So Russia's going to rearm, refit, and this retreat, to me, what it looks like, it's going to morph into what else? They're going to go someplace else and then do what? More of the same? Hmm. Interesting. B fifty. Next headline, B-52 flies with F-22s, nine, nine other nations over the Middle East in a bomber task force mission. Awesome. 
Um, satellite images show bodies lay in Buka for weeks despite Russian claims. From Al Jazeera, President Zelensky says 300 civilians were killed in Buka. Next headline from Reuters, conscripts sent to fight by pro-Russia Donbass get little training, old rifle, and poor supplies. Now, I mean, this is Reuters, though, okay? This is Reuters. Anyway, I won't, I won't go any deeper into that. Uh, next headline. Russia likely to shift tactics, send thousands of soldiers to eastern Ukraine, says the U.S. That's another Reuters story. So, um, interesting, interesting. We shall see. We shall see. All right, so without further ado, the Mensa brothers uh, were gracious enough to join me this morning and uh, record something. So, uh, my friends, uh, Jeff was not able to join us. Jeffrey was not able to join us this morning, but uh, this is uh, Tim Lynch and Will Costantini joining me here on a Tuesday. I wanted to have the Mensa brothers on, and they are on this morning. So the Mensa brothers minus, minus Jeff Kenny. So joining me from McAllen, Texas, Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Mac. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm uh, this morning. I'm uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Um, anything new in McAllen that you want to report? Uh, nope. The uh, no more kettles. The hawks have definitely cleared out, and now we're we're concentrating on the rarer species that are moving in. And I've I, I put a bunch of stupid photos in that chat thing. I'm gonna drive you guys crazy because I fixed my D90 and I've got it up and work working, and I've got like so many pictures of stupid parrots so your, like your d90 is not a weapon it's a it's a uh, oh it's an it's icon a, not, not an icon camera yeah it it got da- it got damaged in uh, in afghanistan it actually but i got it fixed so it's i'm taking all these pictures and having a good time trying to track down the rare birds because there's a bunch of them around they've got like alerts that you can join like clubs and they'll send alerts out to you about different kinds of birds spotted in Westlaco or Mission or places like that. It's 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 quite the active community. Who knew? I'm not sure what to say right now. Doesn't yeah, have, doesn't happen to me much, but to be rendered speechless. You, but you know, there man. are there are birding centers here that have towers where you can volunteer for two hours to clock the birds that you see and start characterizing them and whatnot. And they got like waiting lists of dudes who know what they're looking at to do this. It's it's amazing. I, th- all this stuff I didn't know. Do you think you yeah. will become part of that culture? No. Why not? No. <clears throat> yeah, no. I'm not standing it's... on any any tower for two hours doing nothing. I'm I I no. I, I'd rather be. What do you mean, do you mean doing nothing? I mean I, I'm not I'm not proficient enough at at identifying various bird species to do it. And I would I don't think I think I would find it tedious. I'd rather try to capture them in flight with the camera which is proven difficult but it's i've got a few good pictures yeah I, that would just it's just that it doesn't interest me to, to to log in birds like that hmm. you don't want to be yeah. a part of the bird, I'm cranky. bird tracking I'm cranky. establishment i'm cranky yeah i'm gonna do my own thing bro all right I, i'm, you I'm know decommodified what? 
<laughs> that's the way I. I mean, I. I would. Um, I would. I would do it. Uh, you know, I. I kind of like to have a little bit more maneuver space, than, than most people, right? But I don't know. I like to participate in the discussion as well. So I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think I might, maybe be a, a substitute or some kind of adjunct, so I could have some of the benefits, but I would not want to be, I wouldn't buy the meal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so Michael Yon's back down here. I went and got him at the airport last week and he explained, explained to everybody who Michael Yon is. Michael Yon is the world's uh, foremost combat correspondent as he titles himself. Mike, Michael Yon is what? a former SF guy. Yep. And he was embedded in Iraq where he did a series of articles, including winning a Pulitzer for a picture of a, army officer cradling an Iraqi girl in a blanket who was dying. Um, and he captured a bunch of sequences that were rather famous to include the sent the current CENTCOM commander getting shot. He got a he got a great sequence of that. The guy gets shot, rolls over, shoots the guy that shot him. Very impressive photography. He would link up with me in Afghanistan because he's uh, was constantly getting unembedded for speaking his mind and asking questions and what have you. And so that was what gave me a start in blogging. That's how I became rather well-known in, in there, because he would be with the military where he'd say, everywhere I go around, I get shot at. He goes, and I hang out with Lynch, and I don't get shot at by anybody. It's weird. And so we've been close since then. He's now, you'll find him on like the Steve Bannon hour room where he'll do reports from the border, talking about the migrant things. He spent a lot of time in Hong Kong covering those things and got very good at, at, at talking about how you how you do riots. Then he took that knowledge to Portland and, and embedded with Antifa for a while. And and so he's got a big, huge presence on his own sub stack. And he does, I guess he has his own channel or whatnot, but I I, uh, I just know him because he's my buddy in Afghanistan. But he introduced me to two guys. So one was 24, the other one was 18, who have moved to te Texas to document day by day SpaceX. And they've now been hired by SpaceX to help with that diet. And the 18-year-old is in training. He's already got a pilot's license, is in training to possibly be one of the guys uh, uh, going to Mars. And I had no idea we were close to going to Mars. I had no idea that the biggest rocket in the world ever is right down the road from me. It was, these two kids were fascinating, but that was, uh, they're sort of like Jan. They're, they're just, they just have a passion and they're documenting stuff. That 18-year-old kid, Graduated high school at 16, built his first nine-foot rocket when he was 14, and got some kind of somehow got genuine rocket fuel. I wasn't quite sure in the story, but they're impressive young guys. I mentioned that only to mention that this people running around with cameras filming what their is is their life's passion. You can start when it's kind of young because those two kids were impressive. They were very smart young guys. Yeah, that's thought I'd share that with you. A little bit of hope for our future generations. <laughs> Are there? Okay, so there's Tim Lynch yeah. this morning on, on a yeah. Tuesday. Joining me from the greater Kansas City area, Will Costantini. Will, how am, I, am I pronouncing your name better? Uh, yeah, I mean, I pronounce it the traditional way, so I don't know why you're having such difficulty. I have no tradition. That's why. What um, If I had tradition, I would know, but I don't. What is, what's, yeah. the, what's the traditional way? Costantini. Costantini. What's so hard about that? I don't know what's so hard about that. 
See, that's how funny I am. I just set you up for that fucking joke, okay? Just so everybody knows. That's, that's you know what? Just so everybody knows. You, everybody thinks they're like, oh, this is so easy. It's really not. It's very complicated. I just make it look easy. Um, what, give us, uh, so Kansas lost? So you're obviously happy about no, that. No, Kansas won. Oh, that's right. They did one. Big they comeback. They were fucking down by 15, and they came back and won. Oops. I don't even want to go outside of my house. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, anything else? Want to, anything else we want to talk about? Any current event uh, in the Kansas City area? This is kind of the local. No, this is the current event. This is. This will be the current event until NFL training camp. And I start hearing about the Chiefs dynasty again. Oh. You know, thank God they lost last year, for God's sakes. Yeah, and I mean... These people in the Midwest can be unlivable about certain things. Well, there's not a whole lot of branches in those trees. And when there's not, <laughs> they, swing on the, they swing on the few branches that there are a lot. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter what there time of year. It doesn't matter what time of year. Um, I wanted to have you guys on to talk about um, Ukraine, and I kind of I kind of uh, reset it yesterday on the program. But if you look at the map, the map has changed, you know, substantially. Um, and uh, so, and it's like everybody has got this wrong, to include people like Jack Keane, and who I who I have great admiration for and respect, and and who tends to be right most of the time. But he said. Right as the Russian army, you know, began to surround Kiev, you know, he said that the Ukrainians were fighting bravely, but it was only a matter of time, and the Russians would ultimately crush them. Now, what you have is, I and this is what I want to talk to you guys about. Would you call this a retreat? We would you call this a resetting the force? Would you call this refurbishing so that we can go do what we suggested that Vladimir Putin would do, which is focus on the Donbass and, and, and the eastern areas? Because that, that was not the great roll of the dice and did not expose him to possible failure. And we said that, what, two months ago, before this was even close to happening. Um, so what, what do you make of, of this? Um, of this change in the map. Timmy, um, what, what would you call this? Well, it, it, it appears to be the acknowledgement of reality and, and the Russian forces understanding their limitations and trying to react to that. The, uh, the, the emphasis on the eastern part of the country as this thing was first kicking off b back when we were also confidently predicting he won't launch a whole uh, 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 an invasion of the country, we always thought, rational actor theory, that if he was just going to concentrate on the, on the eastern end in order to connect everything to Sevastopol and therefore have a continuous piece of terrain that hold he on, controls. Hold on, hold on, I thought it was Sevastopol. Probably, probably is. Will, but, you, Will you went to Monterey. But Se you Sevastopol went, or Sevastopol? Yeah, Will, so, you, went, you went to Monterey, so you're like an expert in all things linguistic. I've heard both. Yeah. I'm there using you go. the traditional I, way. boy, Will. Yeah. What the fuck, man? Since when did you sit on a fence? I didn't. I just stated a fact. I've heard both. 
Wow. And you think you know a guy. This really isn't hard being the host, you know? You make it look hard sometimes. It's it's part of the art form. (laughs) All right. Go ahead, Tim. At at any rate, using the rational actor theory, that seemed to be a goal which made sense to us, and that's what we thought he was up to. Obviously, we were wrong. Um, This retrenchment looks like he's back to taking something that makes sense to us. But I'm I'm beyond predict- predictions right now. I because it's hard to explain how they've got to this point. But it clearly represents a a victory for Ukraine. This uh, this thought that eventually uh, Putin could take the gloves off and crush them, evidently not the case. Um, and there's a lot we're going to learn in the future that we don't know right now. But it's it's obvious to me that he's contracting because he's getting his ass handed to him. All right, Will. Your thoughts on this change of the map? How would you characterize it? Yeah, item one um, is, you know, there's been a thought process about experts for quite a long time that experts are actually dangerous. And we should have be absolutely convinced of that in this country based on the last couple of years, particularly with the pandemic. So I don't put a whole lot of... Um, anything behind anyone that's a proclaimed expert out there, General Keene or anybody else. Um, There seems to be a lack of humility and an inability to imagine different options and then just attempt to put probabilities. Um, I guess that's not how you get, you know, seven-figure TV contracts. Well, Timmy Timmy likes to – Timmy plays a part of a podcast expert. Timmy, is – would you – Totally different. (laughs) First of all, his salary is zero. And we all know that an an exceedingly large percentage that flows after Tim says, I think, is complete and utter. Yeah. Yeah. So, But you know what? When Timmy does that, he doesn't say, I think. He postulates it as a fact. And and I I offer you. That's really good. Right? The Wizard of Oz analysis that he completely plagiarized. Never footnoted the goddamn thing, and then passed it off as his expertise. But you should have had that. You should have captured that video, because he was in full expert, confident, strong delivery. I mean, it was. Pretty I was sweet. doing my bit. I was doing my bit yeah. to make the show interesting. As he a, was right as a podcast so, expert. Mm-hmm. Item two. It seems like uh, when this thing kicked off, we were thinking. What are his war aims? And we thought, um, so he's going to go for the knockout blow in the capital, install some sort of puppet regime because we don't think he can garrison the whole country. So that was 40 days ago. I think it became evident uh, after about 12 or 14 days that there was going to be no knockout blow in the capital. And so now perhaps he's looking at what are my genuine strategic aims here? Uh, the stretch goal was to take the whole thing. Okay, I'm convinced we're not going to do that. You know, the sort of objective goal is to uh, take that Russian-speaking, quasi-Russian ethnic enclave in the east, which is seemingly the more strategic part of the country. And so... Um, I don't know if he's getting his ass handed to him or not, right? Because the only thing I see is experts talking about that. So I just don't know. 
but it's obvious that the juice is not worth the squeeze around Kiev anymore. So let's go take the other part uh, and get the best deal that we can get out of it. And then, you know, we can talk about reactions to that. The the third thing that gets me is this whole, um, I mean, I think the president fumbled yesterday again, right? Two weeks ago, he says, Putin's got to go. Then he says, I wasn't talking about regime change. But then he calls him a war criminal. Well, how do you negotiate with a war criminal? So if the Russians end up withdrawn from everywhere in the country except for the Donbass, or even if the Russians go all the way back to the status quo antebellum, how do we negotiate with them? You well, can't negotiate with a war criminal. Well, who's good? Why would we be negotiating in the first place? We're not even a party to this. Who would be who? Someone's got to negotiate with them. And then what happens the day after the Ukrainians and the Russians sign off on some sort of ceasefire? How do we ever deal with Russia again? It, it's just a stupid thing by the president to go out and do that. that and it seems like it, all it can do is, is make this war continue and lead us into future war, whether that's actual um, kinetic combat with the Russians, but we're in a state of war now. I just, I don't, I don't get it. So, Well, you know, and, and to make matters worse, he seized on that because he thought um, whatever they're finding in Buka rescues him. His faux pas was not calling Putin a war criminal. His faux pas was saying he couldn't, he had to be removed, yeah. calling for regime yeah, yeah. change. And so, so it's like, that wasn't even the, that was even the worst thing you said. Okay. Calling him a, a criminal. But again, it's, uh, it, it just seems, let's, it's just painful. And let's pull this string a little bit. So if, if the dead people in Buka were actually murdered by Russian forces, right. and that's, that's not a known. Right. And then were they ordered to be murdered by competent military authority? And did the civilian control of that competent military authority know, order it, or acquiesce in it? Okay, does that make the head of state a war criminal? Well, we had U.S. troops murder people in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's absolutely true. Do you draw a line there to the head of state? I mean, it's just stupid what he did. And so I don't, I don't want to totally distract from the map and everything else, but that was, to me, that was a big deal because it makes ending the conflict harder and it makes engaging, unless we're just never going to engage with Russia again until Putin's gone. I don't know. Maybe that's Maybe that's what's going on in the White House right now. Well, I mean, and that might not be a bad thing because that would tube the Iran agreement that is supposedly is being engineered in the midst of all of this. So maybe Putin says, yeah, I'm out and res and rescues us from our own foreign policy. Fucking crazy now. Yeah, but 
do we is, is that what we want to do is is take a country with 10,000 nuclear weapons and 130 or 50 or 20 million people uh and that like it or not is still somewhat connected to the world economy uh and just say okay you can't deal with them anymore because they're work remote i mean it's ignorant and 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 if you want to make that kind of statement, go have a proxy make it. But when it comes from the president of the United States, no matter what the president thinks, when he says things, right. that's policy. Right. Right. Well, it's really not in this case, right? Because they'll walk, well, I, they'll yeah. walk it back and, and all the rest of it. No, it's again, it's just more uh, the painful reality of having somebody who I believe somebody on the program here ac accurately predicted that he would never be president. And because there's no way the nation would do this to itself, and yet it did, and uh, so there you have it. The um, so I I just posted I just posted the map in the chat window. If you'll pull that up, um, how do I find the chat window? Tim, would you talk them on the target? Yeah, uh, look down. Look down the lower part there, where it says chat. Next to where it says share screen and raise your hand. Lower part of the bar, control bar. Hit the chat. Hit where it says chat. And there's all these the pictures of these freaking birds. That's the yeah, yeah. That's the right place. That's that's exactly right. Those are good pictures, man. <laughs> that's a double yellow-headed parrot right there. You don't see those just anywhere. Shut the fuck mm. up. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Please, please. I'm looking uh, at the map. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's undeniable. When you look at the map, Russia's been at war for, uh, what is today, day 41? Yeah. And you look at that map, and that's all their military has done. And that's that's sobering. That's sobering. And again, if the casualty figures, I don't know what they are, Yeah. but what you're reading is that they're heavy, they're much heavier than the Russians anticipated. And um, it's it's been really interesting, and, and I, I mentioned this the other day, but articles coming out that as they attempt to mobilize their reserve, they're finding their reserve is non-functional. It's 10% of the assets in there are functional because the other 90% have been gutted for precious, precious metal and parts uh, to sell in the black market. And, and so, again, don't know if that's true. Don't know how widespread that is, but you you hear this reporting, and so, you know, you look at this and you say, okay, so what's next, right? And so the the narrative that you see, you know, is that the Russians now are refitting in order to concentrate their forces in the east, in the vicinity of Luhansk, and then in the south, in the vicinity of Maripol. Maripol still hasn't fallen yet, right? And Kyrgyzstan, right? So um, what do you think happens next? Tim, you want to get your crystal ball out and 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 and, and, and predict? Well, it, it, there's, there's been a, a state of ongoing conflict around that, that the, the Donetsk and Lukyansk Okay, uh, and here's, here's the other thing I want to ask you too. Okay, and now how do the Ukrainians respond the how does the ukrainian military respond the russians have pulled back in certain area now areas now they have a little bit more freedom of, of maneuver 
do they now begin to bring in assets that and and go on the some kind of limited offensive? They struck a I want to say a fuel plant inside twenty miles inside of Russia mm-hmm. uh, two days ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so so talk about that. If you were if you were the Russian military, well, what do you think the Russian military is going to do, and what do you think the Ukrainians are going to do? I think the Russians are going to try to pull into those contested areas where they've been fighting since 2014 and have defense in depth already dug in and try to expand that network and stay and stick around for the long haul. If uh, if I were the Ukrainians, unlike 2014, unlike any other period in this whole conflict history, they've now got adequate supplies of, of sophisticated anti-armor weaponry. Um, apparently Czechoslovakia is giving them tanks. There's also, uh, even the Australians are kicking in some armored vehicles to them. So they're getting more rolling stock. They obviously have fuel, which is something the Russians don't have. I think the Ukrainians are going to, are going to go in there and keep the pressure on them because the fact of the matter is when you're in the D, when you're static, you're static. You know, that the, a proper defense is a, is a gigantic mobile affair where, and they've got the space to do that there, but they don't have the ability or the talent to wage uh, an offensive defense in depth like they did in World War II. So they're going to go doggo and they're going to get static. And I think the Ukrainians are going to pick them apart. are just going to continue to pick them apart. And um, which spells for a long, long period of conflict. And and that's, that's, I think would be the worst case scenario. All right. Well, how about you? What are the Russians going to do, and what do you think the Ukrainians will do? Um, I, I would just—I was looking something up. So CSIS, yes, Center for Strategic International Studies, they're quoting Time Magazine, which is quoting supposedly anonymous NATO sources who say uh, Russian killed in action between seven and fifteen k, wounded between twenty and forty-five k. And the NATO source says that's from Ukrainian sources, inadvertent Russian sources, open sources, and some other source, which must be imagery. That's a pretty wide range, 7 to 15K. Um, So that means that their sources are not really very good. Uh, CSIS says the invasion force was about 140K. 190 total, but 50,000 of those were really static troops in the eastern part of Ukraine. So 140K, if they took 20,000 casualties, what's that? That's, uh, you know, that's uh, 15% of the force. If they took 45, it's a quarter of the force are casualties. And these guys quote the Russian army. well, this this number is fucked up because they say the Russian military nine hundred k, two hundred eighty thousand in the army. So less than a third of their military is in the army. That seems weird. But anyways, um, what are the Russians going to do now? What are the Ukrainians going to do now? Right? Is oh, and the other thing is they talk about what are the Ukrainian casualties? They say the Ukrainian killed in action are about thirteen hundred. Um, but they didn't give a total number of the Ukrainian military engaged. So is the Ukrainian military capable of offensive action? It does not appear that they necessarily retook 
the areas from the Russians as opposed to the Russians withdrawing from those areas. And I think the mode of warfare that we've been seeing, the Ukrainians has been defensive for the most part. Uh, the drones, the anti-tank missiles, the air defense. So if, if that's what's happened, that the Russians have figured out that their offensive is not going to work in and around Kiev in particular, so the Ukrainians retake it, that doesn't tell us that the Ukrainians have the type of force that can actually physically eject the Russians from certain parts of the country. They can prevent them from maybe achieving their objectives at a cost that they want to pay, but it's not clear that they can kick them out and send them back home. So I think we're going to get to a point where Putin figures out, well, this is about what I wanted. This is about what I'm going to get. So let's talk. And at some point, the Ukrainians are going to have to figure out, can can we declare victory, even though we lost parts of the territory? Um, or do we have to have a sort of great patriotic war and get these Russians off of every inch of Ukrainian soil? And if they fundamentally look in the mirror and say our military is not suited for that type of warfare, then perhaps they take some sort of a deal. Zelensky, you know, is, is uh, on the top of the world um, popularity-wise. So can he leverage that to continue the war in a non-kinetic way with the Russians to eventually get him out of the country? Um, I don't know. I mean, once once the uh, bloodletting stops there, I think that uh, the media will move on to some other event and Zelensky will become, you know, passe. He won't be given speeches at the Academy Awards and the Grammys and all that uh, if they cut a deal. So I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling that this thing is going to drag ass for a while and the ending of it is not going to look like um, you know, uh, standing on a battleship, Missouri, with the sign in the surrender document. I just don't think that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be clean. It's going to be dirty. And there's going to be areas that are going to be contested. Um, and then the other thing is, if you call Putin a war criminal, and Zelensky, I believe has accused the Russians of committing war crimes. And right, the only way that they're going to be investigated is by people that the Ukrainians allow to go in and investigate them since they're on the ground now. How do you sign any sort of documents with war criminals? It just, it's stupid what they're doing, I think. So... I um to me it, it, all the different things I've read it seems that uh this the Russian army's lack of capability has come as a surprise to many inside Russia and 
which could make sense because you would only you would only as we talked about you would only launch the plan that was launched if you had complete confidence in your high-end military that they could do this and so the plan would betray that confidence <clears throat> problem is russian military couldn't do it so now as you as you reconcile yourself with that now what and so um i probably very grudgingly you know the russian army pulls back so what do you do right what do you do and so i think you know consolidating in the areas that you did and then i think it's getting maps out right looking at rivers roads and things like that and say okay so what do we want what do we want on the eastern frontier well it's this course of action that we rejected in favor of that course of action okay so here's the line these are the lines and i'm sure they haven't drawn up and so I, I would think that the Russian military would um, would do that. And I think their casualties, at some point, they're going to have to be accountable for their casualties with the Russian people. And um, it be interesting to see. And they know the truth, right? They know the truth. And so, um, so I, I think there are much more frail military than I think anybody thought. Um, so that's, that's on the Russian side. So I would expect them as you, as you guys articulated to pull back, uh, to pull out the plan that they, they rejected, you know, and say, okay, here's the line that we want. <clears throat> here's what we'll fight for. Uh, on the Ukrainian side, I, what, what I believe that, and you've seen some of this, like they, they sent a couple of Heinz to blow up a, a oil refinery, um, in the vicinity of Kyrgyzstan, Michaelov. And so I guess the Heinz uh, flew out of Odessa, and it was just a flight of two. And, you know, you saw a video on Twitter of it. <laughs> yeah, these monstrosities known as Hind D helicopters, right? And uh, flew up flying Napa the Earth and got in and, and fired a bunch of ordnance into a refinery and, uh, and then turned around and took off. Um, and so... Um, I would expect the Ukrainians to do more of that. I, their offensive capability limited, um, but I would tell you what, I mean, you, you cannot help but be impressed with the fact that they've fought the Russian military to a standstill. And so if you apply that same tenacity and that same brain power, because you know, part of fighting the Russian military to a standstill is understanding your own limitations hey, these things will happen. We will allow these things, right? And then we will descend on their lines of resupply and things like that, and we will cut those units off, and they will die on the vine. And so, I mean, that's... And then to be able to go out and to somewhat execute that, um, I, you, can't, you have to be impressed with their... The, whoever is leading the Ukrainian military seems to have an idea what they're doing. And their own limitations, and it's not overextending their force. And so I would see, I would, I would expect to see that applied. I would expect to see strikes into Russia on a limited basis, um, both um, uh, on the air and on the ground. I would, I, I would expect to see local counterattacks, um, uh, where they know that they could, they they know that they could win. So I would expect them to harvest the ripest fruit, the weakest units. 
um, that they believed that they could knock over and, and, and expand spheres that are important to them, whether it be around Sumi or Kharkiv or some of the, the, the major cities that have been contested. Um, but I would expect them to, to, again, embracing what Will said, within their limited capability to, to go ahead and, and, and conduct you know, more counter, you know, counteroffensive operations. And then let's, uh, yeah, let's go through that a little bit. It it seems conventionally that makes sense. What would your objective be? I think that the strike into Russia is not a tactical objective, right? That is a strategic objective to, to embarrass Putin. The Russian homeland has been invaded, et cetera. So what other objectives are out there? If you have limited offensive capability that, you're not really interested in expending casualties to take back a suburb or something. You want to you wanna prevent him from achieving his objectives and somehow convince him. And so is that, um, is that focusing on Russian commanders? And it's, it's much more worth it to kill a lieutenant general than a lance corporal. You know, I, I is would, that I, I would say, cyber? Is there something like that as I, opposed to a conventional right. rolling back out of the country? I would say it is critical infrastructure, and what pops to mind is bridges in that area, which are going to inhibit his mobility. Um, I would say uh, fuel depots and ammunition depots. Well, again, just make this whole again, knowing that the Russians struggle with logistics make the logistics problem more more complicated for them. And so, um, yeah, so trying to identify critical infrastructure and then and then fuck it up. Those are tactical, right? Right. No, Will they and, have and a strategic I, I, impact? No, again, the Doolittle raid, I agree with you. you. That is designed. I want the Russian people to feel what my people have felt. I want right. it to be reported, and I want to humiliate that guy. Right. And they've got and, 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 and so to me, there's 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 a absolutely, as you said, well, there's a strategic message in all of that. Well, would, yeah. wouldn't you would you not say that since this thing is kicked off, the center of gravity for Russia right now is its perception of, of military competency that in, in, in other words, that the Ukraine, what they should be aiming for is chewing up as much of that army as they can. Because whatever Russia tries to hold, at some point, they're going to have to put considerable effort into making sure that tactically they're proficient in what they're holding. And they're going to they're going to they have to they have to develop the capability to punish anybody that's coming after. Them. Yeah, that, it's they have to, Tim. That's very um, you know, not to go back 30 years, very attrition oriented. Right. If you're. Whoa. No, no, no I, it is. Yeah, if you're Zelensky, what what is your aim now if you're Zelensky? Could your aim be we need to stop the kinetic part of this because the country has been beat up, uh, you know, cities, homes, businesses, roads, and I, I don't know how big the Ukrainian force is, but let's say they took 1,300 killed which means they took another 5,000 wounded. Um, what does that do to your medical services? Uh, all, all that stuff, th- this interruption of life in the country for the last month and a half. 
So if you want to get that over with, grinding up, you know, frontline Russian military forces, I don't think it's going to get there. It's how do you get the narrative in Putin's head that you've got whatever you're going to get and that's it. And it ain't worth doing anything more. Um, Because it it doesn't appear that Putin is overly sensitive to casualties in the front line of Russian forces. Maybe he is. Maybe they're getting close to a tipping point. And so if I'm Zelensky, that I'm sounded, trying to think, That sounded William Buckley-esque. It doesn't appear that Vladimir Putin is overly sensitive to... I mean, you said well, it in your own, you know, upper New York way, but it was very William Buckley-esque. Well, well, well played. Um, well played. And, and, and that's... This thing is going to grind until, right... War is a human endeavor until somebody gives up. Doesn't appear that the Ukrainians are going to give up. No reason to now. Right. How do you make Putin give up? And I, I personally don't think it's just by, um, you know, killing another 10% of his tanks or armored vehicles or forces. Do you have an opinion on on? why he give I won't say give up why he why he gets serious at a peace table I mean to me you're seeing yeah. you're seeing part of it you, you've been stopped right um, essentially been stopped humiliated on the world the- stage are we sure that this humiliation isn't going to go further yeah we so it they have not achieved what we think their their stretch objective was we have shown the ability to attack parts of the Russian homeland. Uh, yeah, what are the next things that convince Putin, okay, gigs up. I, I mean, the international community, worldwide condemnation, I think Germany either threatened to or has taken over the Gazprom assets that are in Germany, Russian gas company. Yeah. So... You know, international law and norms are being ignored by people in the economic sphere against the Russians. So at what point is the pain too much for Putin? Right. Uh, and, and again, and Will, Will said this earlier, but I will double down on it. And what you're going to see uh, in the next uh, week is the the world's media be overwhelmed with horrible images coming from Buka and all the other small towns where something fucked up happened. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the picture, which, which is a total surprise, right? Oh, what? Well, that's a shocker. Right. Well, look, yeah. and two, just to put out, and this is, this is only potential scenarios. The mm-hmm. scenarios are Russian forces murdered people in cold blood. Mm-hmm. Other scenarios are Ukrainians murdered Russian collaborators. And made it look like Russian forces murdered people in cold blood. Yeah. So there is a, a, a and, and that's not attempting to excuse or anything that the Russians did. But no, but you're talking about getting I to, to be to a ground little bit truth. careful. Yeah, getting to ground yeah. truth. But, but it's going to, it's going to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, and again, I, the, the I point is. I want to be a little careful. Right. No, you see. About a, looking at the video right. you, as I, evidence. I saw a still image yesterday. 
of a guy. It looked like he was in a Carhartt jacket with his hands bound behind his back with a like a looked like a strip of a white sheet and shot in the head. Laying yeah, there. Mac, I looked at I right. looked at the same picture and I said to myself, "What's the story behind that?" What's the story behind it? Also, where did they find the white sheet? Has this guy's hands been bound for a significant amount of time? He's got this bright white sheet binding him. I don't know if that's evidence or not, but it makes me ask a second question. Is this a body that someone found dragged out into the street and then tied their hands behind their back to make it look that way? I don't know. But before I draw a conclusion, and let me I tell you, that's a, know. that's a long historic uh, photography uh, tradition that dates back to Matthew Brady and the American. I was just going to say the same. Amer yeah. And the American Civil War. Some of the most famous, iconic photographs uh, of the uh, of the the sunken road at Antietam. Devil's Den. Devil's Den, to be sure, yeah. at Gettysburg, are mm -hmm. staged photographs uh, that Matthew Brady staged. And so it is not a recent tradition. Um, and then, you know, you go through Vietnam and, you know, you know, photographers later had to say, yeah, I staged that picture. It wasn't yeah, and it wasn't something I spontaneously stopped. So what Rosenthal was accused of. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the first thing I thought, and because I've tried to listen to myself say, be careful of imagery. Imagery is designed to get an emotional response. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I, I just spent time as a battalion commander. And you walk up on the situation, and boy, this sure doesn't look good. And you dig around and you figure out and you put yourself in the head and you see everything else and you say, hey, guys, you did exactly the right thing here. Uh, but on the surface, it sure didn't look that way when you started out. Um, and that wasn't trying to justify anything in anyone's mind. And for all I know, the Russian forces went fucking berserk and murdered hundreds and thousands of people over there. Right. But I don't know, and I'll tell you what, nobody else knows either right now. Right. So, and if it, you know, and and again, just the experiences that we've had, um, I can tell you about escalation of forces. So I'm working for Joe Mattis, so I see all this stuff, right? It all comes to him, and I'm expected to, you know, look at it, and make sure it's complete. And so, escalation of force, a convoy moving on MSR Mobile which was the major freeway between Baghdad and the Syrian border. Um, we had problems with suicide, vehicle-borne IDs, right, coming up on our convoys, our vehicle movements on that thing, and blowing them up, killing them. And um, so, you know, we, we put signs on vehicles. We have pen flares, you know, with the Marines have to ward people off. And I'll never forget this one. Uh, and this vehicle is bearing down on this Marine movement on Route Mobile. I, I won't say it was a convoy because sometimes there were tactical movements that were were transitioning, transiting on, on, on an MSR and then going to go someplace else. 
So they're closing in on this up-armored Humvee, right? They shoot uh, a pen flare, right? And guy keeps coming. And they shoot two more pen flares, keeps coming. They then shoot M60, right, um, in front of the vehicle but off the road. Right? Vehicle keeps coming. Blown through everything, right? And then, then they engage the vehicle. Vehicle goes off. It goes into the, the Tartar Canal, right? Now, the Marines stop. They run back. There's a man, his wife, and three kids in the back seat. And through the interpreter, the man said, this is my country. You can't tell me what to do, right? And these Marines are trying to save the wife and the three little kids. And everybody dies. Now, you roll up on that, you take a picture. What does it look like? Yeah. What does it look like? Yeah. These Marines Cold murder. murder. But, but you don't have a choice. They're, this is the way they, they're killing us, and you do everything within your power. And the same thing would happen at vehicle checkpoints, right? We would have spike strips. We would have concertina wire. We would have, you know, we would have, um, we would have pen flares. And, you know, get, to get through all that and be on the gas and the first shots go into, into your engine block. And then if you keep coming, you have that's there's the trigger line. Right. And Will did this shit all the time. His guys did this stuff. And if, if they get to the trigger line at that point, you have the responsibility to not only defend yourself, but to defend the Marines you lead. And and then all of a sudden you're doing you know, you're trying to save little kids and spouses. And it's, it's you know, it was, it was fucked. But again, if you rolled up on it, what what would you conclude? And so that's why this stuff, if you have any experience at it, at it at all, you know, first of all, get the right people there. Get somebody who's an adult that can get to the truth. Because if you don't, you'll never know the truth. Because the truth will be buried in somebody else's propaganda narrative. And so, so anyway... Some thoughts. All right. Um, any, I, I got to I, I got to say something about that though. Go ahead. In Af in Afghanistan, um, I I was in a, I, I got interviewed for Coffee and Dime magazine for Black Rifle Coffee, and they made the uh, the 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 headline was the Army was the biggest threat to me, <laughs> which I which I had said. Because of my threat matrix, my number one threat was rolling into a convoy uh, in between Jalalabad and and and, and uh, Kabul at speed, which I normally was, because there was the, the, I would get shot. I mean, they they automatically would shoot at you for driving normally. Afghanistan, you couldn't keep civilian vehicles away from you. If you remember down in the helmet, you guys, Mac, you guys never did that in the helmet. Riding around and running into a Marine convoy in the helmet was no drama. The French didn't do that. They didn't make a big deal about it, but the American army shot two vehicles out from underneath me. I mean, shot it. But again, I, I you've heard me say and this. I didn't like that tactic. You've heard me say this before. The, I yeah. think the biggest difference between Iraq and Afghanistan was in Iraq, I mean, every time you went out on, on an MSR or anything, I mean, a, and and the, their ability to kill you using suicide vehicle-borne IDs 
was the stuff that would put your stomach in a oh, knot. Oh, I right? saw it. I saw it on that Irish myself. I saw it. Iraq was different. Was right. different than Afghanistan. Afghanistan, Afghanistan vast. I, that to me was the major difference. There was not that, in uh, that anxiety, that angst. Every time you mm-hmm. rolled out, every vehicle that rolled by was going to explode. In a, right. I, I, I will tell you this. When I left Iraq in 2004, and I'd been there a year. Um, I left in December of 2004, and I went there with the advance party. And um, we were on a bus. We went to, uh, what was it, Will, Camp Victory, where you got in trouble. Is that it? Uh, Arif John. Arif John. I don't know. If, that was not Victory. Victory, I think, was up in Iraq still. Okay. Arif John was down in Kuwait. I did not get in trouble. <laughs> I had a discussion with a senior Army officer and eventually he was convinced that he was a retard and I was not going to do what he said. So thank God for Bob Knapp. Bob Knapp. I didn't feel it was trouble. And I don't think Bob Knapp thought it was trouble. Bob so Knapp I'm not gets sure why call. you thought it was trouble. I heard the narrative. Like I heard the first phone call. Right. And uh, Will's guys were accused of various offenses from being disrespectful to not having haircuts to walking around in orange uniforms and not saluting. And um, and Bob Knapp, Colonel, who had replaced Colonel Joe Dunford as chief of staff of the 1st Marine Division, uh, when General Dunford transitioned to being deputy CG of the division, General Matt is still the CG, um, he took the first phone call from some Army Brigadier General? I, uh, I think it was a colonel. It might have been a... No, it was a colonel okay. I was talking to. And, and, you know, and then he said, Hey, can you track down Will for me? And I said, Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how I if, if we corresponded well, but I somehow other found out where where Will was. I said, You'll find him here. And then, uh, no, I I think we actually spoke because you said that guy's full of shit, right? Here's what we're doing. We just got out of the field, you know, blah 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 blah. But anyway, um, so when I left, I fly down there. And then you're there for a couple days, and then they put you on buses, and they took took you from they took me from Camp Arif John to the airport in Kuwait City, the military you know wherever we got on our airplanes there, and um, so we're on this bus and we're driving on this interstate, and now up to the right is a shiny gas tanker pulled off to the side of the road, and I'm sitting towards the front of this bus. And there's this dude in the white, like, man dress with the red and white uh, distasha. How do you say that, Will? Distasha, yeah. yeah. Not the head, the the, the dress is a distasha. What is the head thing? I don't know. I Come on. All that. What is it? I've lost all that. No, you haven't. Come on. You're feo. I know, I've lost it. Anyway, the head thing. With the black, with the, with the standard issue black band around it, right? And he's standing there on the traffic side of his tanker that's pulled off to the side of the road on his cell phone. And we're driving by in a bus. And I think to myself, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be that name, right? And we go by it and nothing happened. And I said, I said out loud, right? Am I the only one that almost puked in the aisle? And everybody starts laughing. But that's the, how effective they were with that shit, right? 
I saw that and I knew what was going to happen. We were going to die, a busload of us, in a fiery ball in Kuwait. Mm. Can I make a point real quick vis-a-vis Afghanistan? My my problem with the, that tactic in Afghanistan was the OODA loop because of the nature of the roads, Ooh. which were two lane the nature of how traffic came up on you and how you were constantly surrounded by civilians, my contention was you couldn't recognize a prospective threat and get and make the decision to get effective rounds on it in time anyway. I, that was always my contention. And I know several times the Army, some kid would in fact make a, a, a V-bed. He'd be trying to engage it, leaning out of his cupola, get killed, where if he had just ducked inside the damn thing, he would have been fine because the Afghans weren't that good at the V-beds. Not until 2010, 2011. Yeah. No, you know, I, and, I just wanted to make again, that one point. My no, point no, was tactically right. it didn't make any sense. And, and here, I yeah. mean, this is how bad they were at that shit. In in Hellman, when we would we would get warned about suicide vest guys coming in the area. Right. We right. we that's unheard of in Iraq. They were pros at it, you know. And we caught guys. We got two. We caught two dudes with vests on at different times, because we, you know, we got warned about them. And so they wind up chasing these dudes down the street. And then these dudes ultimately, you know, they're whacked out on drugs. They're being, you know, they have some imam that that is their tutor. That you know, they keep them isolated. And they and they they brought them in. And then they they try, they sent them down to the civic center or some shit. And the cops were waiting for him. There he is, right. And so they're chasing him, and then he ultimately, he, he tries to blow himself up, but it doesn't explode. It just fizzles. Mm. And that was like a bad, that was like. Yeah, that's a bad burn. Bro. That's a bad optic. I'm going to tell you that right now. That did not look like a good way to go. So anyway, you got to be careful with that whole suicide best shit. Um, the, uh, all right, final thoughts on, on Ukraine. Um, I'm pretty confident in. You know, I'm first of all, I'm confident that, you know, our course of action was what Vladimir Putin should have done. Right. Yeah. Two months ago. And now it looks like he's going to go back to that COA, which is, you know, what's the art of the possible that doesn't does not overextend me and my fragile military. So I think he goes back to that. And I think the Ukrainians um, take the opportunity selectively to make strategic both points both to the world and to russia and they beat the shit out of this and again the word genocide that's a big fucking word man that that does not mean you killed some people some civilians even if they did it deliberately even if they did milai okay that is not milai was not genocide okay it was stupidity and so um Anyway, so and then that will play out on a separate track, and Zelensky will make whatever hay he can make out of that, and then at some point, this thing will will end itself in a whimper as they sign some kind of agreement. Blah 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 blah. Uh, Tim, final thought. I'm not so sure Zelensky's that motivated to start signing agreements. You know, as Will correctly points out, they're hurting the infrastructure, hurting the people. He's got all kinds of issues with medical treatment and how you're going to handle casualties, but he's being helped by the rest of the world. He doesn't have to rebuild those cities. We're going to do that shit for him. He doesn't have to worry about generating enough medical capacity. That crap's flowing across the border at him in a flood. 
I don't see any reason why Zelensky has to accommodate anything. If I was him, I'd keep on pushing at the Russians. It's up to the Russians to develop the tactical combat power and cohesion to make a legitimate stand somewhere and not be a punching bag or a pinata for the, for the Ukrainians. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see if they're capable of generating that type of a disciplined force. I, I, I don't know that they are. Go we'll ahead. have to see. Will, final thought? Uh, just to genocide for a minute. Remember, our State Department refused to categorize the massacre in Rwanda where 800,000 people were killed as genocide. By edged so, weapons. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's... Um, but, you know, the Twitterverse is absolutely in love with Zelensky in Ukraine. I, I've seen things on LinkedIn um, recently where there'd be a picture of Zelensky and where was he recently? I think they were around Buka and, uh, and uh, someone said there are no words. And a retired Marine colonel who I admire and respect puts down their leader. Careful. Careful. Okay. This is a guy that when he became president, they had a significant corruption problem, and he put two of his cronies in charge of the corruption investigation to make sure that the guy who got him elected was not hung up in this. This is a dirty, dirty business over there. There's no George Washington. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to grind. And it's going to go back to, um, are we going to get to a point where two men are in a fight? One knows he's going to win, one knows he's going to lose. And someone determined that they lost and that they're going to, that they're going to stop. Um, are we there yet? It just, it's hard to tell. We don't have a good insight into the Russian decision-making process and you know, the Ukrainians can't stop. So, so this is what grind. the Korean War in its static phase, yeah, nineteen fifty one. No, 50, I think it was 52, much later than that, fifty two, and yeah. dragged out. Yeah, I think Jeff made that point. What, like three weeks ago? Uh, that's right, um, he did. And that and that dragged on for thousands of dead Americans and other casualties. That dragged on for a long time. Uh, Affected a presidential race. You know, Eisenhower said, I will go to Korea. So just because it's obvious to everyone else, it may not be obvious to the people in the arena. So, Got it. All right, boys. First of all, thank you uh, for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, interesting conversation. And uh, as always, I mean, I, 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 I have to tell you, I mean, I, I, I think that um, – the analysis that we provide is pretty good. I'm proud to say that. And whether we're talking about the neo in, in Afghanistan or, you know, just us kind of laying our our historical lens on it, you know, what we know and, and our and our experiences, um, I'd be surprised if what we said this morning doesn't come doesn't come to pass. So anyway, thank you very much for doing this and uh, lending your brilliant analysis to this. Hey, I got a, I got a real quick save round, Mac, and that is I started reading The Forgotten Soldier again last week, and I had forgotten 
that entire, all that fighting takes place right around Ukraine. All of it. The same towns, the same villages. It's just weird to read it like that. Right. Just wanted to add that in. No, if, yeah. you, if you read the Eastern Front, I, and again, um, I, as, a, as an American kid, right, World War II to me is, there was something going on in Europe, but it really starts on December 7th. Right, mm-hmm. and then we do something in North Africa, and then the Marines are fighting in the Pacific, right? And Guadalcanal at all, and um, then Normandy, and we defeat the Germans, and then we continue our movement through the Pacific, and we defe- defeat the Japanese. So when I start reading about the Eastern Front, it's <laughs> unbelievable, right? God, you unbelievable! St- you start reading about the Eastern Front, the battles that they fought out there, the largest fights the the the, the world has ever seen, the scope, the size, right, and and the logistical efforts and all that they did. You're looking at it and you're going, Normandy was a rear guard action for the Germans. Like what? <laughs> like what? How can that be? How can yeah. That, how can that be? Like. This is the fight of World War II. It's on the Eastern Front. And as you said to me, I mean, the towns that you see, the Dnieper River, right? Yep. Yeah. Right? Kharkiv was Kharkov, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the Donitz Basin, right? And all uh, he was fighting through all of that. And I had forgotten that. that. Right. Yeah. Right. You see all yeah. those names. And, and so, anyway, just a, a great book. Anyway, uh, would you recommend it to, to reread? Oh, absolutely, because my perspective's changed. You know, you know how much we enjoy E.B. Sledge's book because right. of his because he did such a good job of articulating his journey. The guy sitting here does every bit as good a job. Every bit as good a job. And he's obviously an introspective guy. But uh, that's a hell of a story from a, a private soldier's perspective. But the stuff you know that what? he survives, I need to go back it's, and un- read. it's I, unbelievable. I should read them both now that uh, yeah. at, with with. With the experience, they're very they're similar. Right. They're very, they're very right. similar. I would say, Guy Sajir did a better job. Really? Did, 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 oh yeah. Why? It's, maybe it's because I'm not as intimately familiar with the with the Eastern Front like I am with the Marines or whatnot. But I find more of his much of his observations, particularly when he interspaces his leave times and is frantically uh, falling in love and right. stuff. All that stuff just seems to that uh, 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 it just seems to be a more complete story and and I as bad as things were for EB Sledge that was a walk in the park compared to what the hell that uh, uh guy Sajer went through in Kharkov I, I mean it's it's you cannot believe that they survived and they can't believe that they survived no, the probability of them surviving yeah. is, is zero the well and then again the part of that book that is riv- there's a few parts of that book that's riveted in my brain one is as yeah. they're moving he initially goes as a guard on uh, a train guard, right? Right, and then he joins the Gross Deutschland because he gets the what three weeks leave. Yeah, he joins it specifically to get three weeks leave. Right, He'd been in a right. transportation company before. Yeah, <laughs> and one of the things that he sees as part of the transportation company is they're going into Russia, and this train's passing them on the tracks, and they, and they're looking, and there's it's at night. And it's snowing, and they're seeing all these irregular shapes, and they're like, well, "What is in the what are what is in those train cars going the other way?" And they get closer, and they're looking, and they can't see. And it's he and his friends. What Howells is his friend, right? 
Yeah, yeah. How the yeah. fuck I remember that? I don't even know. But um, Hal's Linder or something like that. And um, all of a sudden it dawns on them. Those are frozen dead bodies that they just tossed into an open car, right? And the train is filled with these things. And they're like, holy shit. And then the other the, the other scene I remember is during the Battle of Encirclements, you know, they the Germans would be surrounded. This is the exact, I mean, they did this to the Russians on the way in, and then they get it done to them on the way out. Mm-hmm. And then they would have a unit outside the encirclement attack a, a point, and then and then they would widen a hole, and then they would they would break out. So it would be they would break out of the encirclement, and there's this uh, they're marching out of it. And I, I I said this a week or so ago, but these Panzer, you know, uh, German soldiers or tankers, right? And they're black uh, with they have these black piss cutters, and they're sitting mm-hmm. on their tanks, and and they're marching by him, and they're saying good luck. And he says, we knew they would all probably be dead within the next three hours. And they were sitting on their tanks smoking cigarettes, and they were just waving, hey, what's up? You know, and we would walk by, and we'd salute them, and they just nodded and, and you know, gave us like a, a one-finger salute. And what, you know, I mean, cr- yeah. cr- courage like that. And then the last scene is as he walks back to his home, his parents haven't seen him in years, and he walks up and he sees his mother walking towards him. His mother doesn't recognize him. And then she looks, and she sees right at the end of the book, she sees it's him. And yeah. she, I think what she faints or some shit, right? She like she loses her I shit. I haven't got to that part yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in the middle of the, the battling out of the encirclement. But the, the amount of abuse that those guys took. I mean, his best friend getting hit by a cannon shell sitting right next to him in the truck. Yeah, and that yeah. I mean, that really fucked him up because it was, for three chapters, he's talking about visiting that guy's family and stuff. Right. Right. Oh. Right. So right. it's and, very and the, intimate. It's an intimate portrayal. Of true <laughs> suffering, man. Shit all, you don't all, ever want to hear. All in this See? region. The yeah. um I need to read those books again. And yeah. uh you've now just inspired me. And uh, the other thing he talks about, I remember, is they so they get out of this battle, these battles of encirclements, and units get, you know, th- th- they get broken up right and as right. they're scrambling to get across like the Dnieper river and they have a fording site and they're moving guys across and the russians are strafing it russian tanks are are are, are coming down the riverbank and running over people to kill them right yep. and so they, they you get across this motherfucker any way you can and then you have to go check in with the with this you know to find out where your unit is and they've got these tables set up and and so you sh- you show up and he's talking about standing in line and he sees this German lieutenant, right, checking in to find his unit, you know, covered in mud and shit, got through this river and they're like, you know, and and he says they said let us see your papers or what, and they look and they look at him and like where are your binoculars, <laughs> right, and and, and he yeah. and, and he does and he's lost his binoculars, so they said they now he's got to go to the penal battalion, like are you shitting me? Right, I mean, yeah. how do you not pull that little snub nose, whatever the fuck it was, and just gas everybody in there? Oh fuck no, I'm not going anywhere, man. I like, yeah, no, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. But crazy. I, yeah, so you're gonna read that. I've got another one lined up: Future War and the Defense of Europe by John Rutherford Allen. Oh, when was that published? It was. Let's look here. I, I don't know that I'm going to buy it. I've got the sample. First edition published 2021. Oh. That he's He's got, he's, there's two other co-authors, Ben Hodges and Julian Lindley French. 
But uh, I haven't started reading this yet. From looking at the reviews, many of the people that reviewed the book pointed out that everything that they predicted didn't happen. <laughs> so I don't. So I gotta. I gotta go investigate this. That makes it even. That makes it. You want to read it even more? Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, they probably were like us. He'll never cross the line of departure <laughs> as he's crossing the line of departure. Yeah. Nice. All right, boys. Thank you. Cut off us. See you. That'll do it on a Tuesday. My thanks to uh, Will and Tim for coming on. And interesting discussion. Interesting discussion from on everything from uh, be careful about the whole war crime thing based on, a, on an image to what other Russians actually capable of doing, knowing that them doing logistics, not so much. So, so we shall see. And I think at every turn, people have overestimated the Russian army's ability to, to, to do things. Right? So we'll see if that continues. Anyway, I'm Mike McNamara, the Salmarine Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in this morning. Have a great day. And, uh, if I can help you help somebody, don't be afraid to let me know. I'd be more than happy to. On that note, I'm out.